Welcome to the audio newsletter for the Northwestern Program in Sound Arts and Industries. I'm Brad West. Where would you go to hear a unique sound? Turns out, fascinating sounds are all around us and all around the world. The idea of featuring these sonic destinations is what led documentary artist and radio producer Kara Oler to produce a special Sonic Voyages issue of the New York Times Magazine. With accompanying images, the issue asks us to stop and listen. As so many of us are currently advised and encouraged to restrict our travel, a revisit to these Sonic Voyages lets you continue to explore the auditory wonders of the world. Listen as Kara shares some highlights of the Sonic Voyages recordings and offers a glimpse into the special issue's production. My name is Kara Oler, and I'm a Toronto-based media artist and radio producer. I love documentary. I love all forms of documentary, but audio and sound are really the thing I love the most. The sound of the lava moving through the foliage. To me, it's almost like listening to a symphony where every instrument in the orchestra is something in nature. So I worked with the New York Times on this project called Sonic Voyages. Each year, the New York Times puts out an annual fall voyages issue, which is usually about travel photography. And this time around, they decided to do one that was about where would you travel if you wanted to hear something. I'm your host, Jake Silverstein, the editor-in-chief of the magazine. And today, we're going to go all around the planet, looking and listening. I found out about this project from Lisa Tobin, who's the executive producer of audio at the New York Times. And she wrote to me saying that she had this cool project with the New York Times magazine, and would I be interested? And... What I knew but didn't tell her was that I was supposed to move to Toronto in four days. But I said, yeah, go ahead and put me in touch. And then um, I did an interview with Jake Silverstein and Caitlin Roper at the magazine. And 24 hours later, I had signed a contract. And I decided not to move to Toronto with my family, my husband and three-year-old, and to stay in New York and work on this project. So I came on about three months before it was going to be published, and they didn't have a sound person yet. And they had a bunch of destinations that they had selected, but mainly from a visual perspective. I mean, they were thinking about the sound to some degree, but when I came in, a lot of the sounds were somewhat similar, or the place was visually stunning, but the sound was kind of like not that great. And one of the sounds they were most excited about, which we did end up using in the piece, was the sound of Detefoss Falls in Iceland. And it's supposed to be one of the loudest waterfalls in the world. And I said, okay, let me just pull that up on my computer so I can play it for everybody. And they said, oh, great, yeah, we haven't even done that yet. And I said, I'm just going to play it for a minute. After, you know, five seconds, one person was like, turn it off, it's torture, stop. Because it's just this white noise, like, shh, you know, but like with a, it's like all the frequencies at once. It, it's also been used as a torture sound, you know, by the CIA. 
um, Trevor Cox in his book The Sound Book mentioned that that's how it had been used before this <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny to try and figure out how to do a sound project that's both visual and sonic but the sound was leading it I think that moment of playing the waterfall for everyone sitting there was this aha moment and I think everybody got really excited where it's like oh we're you know, we haven't quite been thinking about this from a sonic perspective. Like, they thought they were thinking about sound all along, but they weren't thinking of it in terms of, like, all of the textures and emotions and frequencies that come along with sound. So from there, we we all collaborated to pick 11 different places, and we did decide on the locations, find the right field recordists. There was one couple... Bob and Beth and Kilo, who are both incredible field recordists, that went to the Atacama Desert. We had heard that the desert made cracking sounds, but we didn't know if it really did. It was just something someone had heard one time from a photographer who worked for the New York Times. And so that's all we had to go on. And so we sent them there not knowing exactly if they would be able to get it. We had called people who worked at local hotels to see, you know, if they knew what time of year the desert made cracking sound. We talked to geologists. Apparently this time of year when we needed to record was the least amount of cracking. <laughs> so <laughs> we just didn't know if it was going to work. But Bob and Bethan, as you'll hear if you listen to the piece about the Atacama Desert, did find it. And it's this incredibly weird sound that I can't even imitate. That's a strange click. They also said that it was a really strange place to record. They said that it was one of the quietest places they had ever been. And and I'm going to read a quote from Bob. He said, the air seemed to swallow up our reverb. So while not anechoic, sounds had a nature of evaporating away from us as opposed to reflecting back. We had someone lead us to the sound in each case, too. And it wasn't usually the photographer or the field recordist. So we had to find someone who was that person that would describe the sound or tell us about it or lead us to it. And sometimes it made a lot of sense because it was a researcher or a sound artist. But sometimes it was just a magical sound where we didn't really know who should talk about it. When something wrong happens to you, if you go to the desert at night and you see the stars you will understand that the thing that happens to you means nothing. Uh, We went to one place in India where it's the second largest dome in the world. So the resonance there is just insane. And, And when you make a sound, it goes back and forth something like 11 times. We also had uh, Jez Riley French, who's a sound artist, who was recording these long, long cables, kind of like when you go up a ski lift. But they were called teleferica cables. They're in all over Italy. And they make this sound kind of like. It's like the laser cannons in Star Wars. Um, In New York City, Brian House is a sound artist that had been recording urban rats and then tuning them to the frequency, tuning their sounds, which are way above what humans can hear, tuning them to our range of hearing. 
so you can hear them talk. And in some cases, as he said, laugh. When you listen to the piece, you can really hear it. People were really fascinated, especially and captured by the rats. Um, I think that was just kind of terrifying and strange and magical and weird. And maybe for me, like where, you know, it opened up my mind to how many, how much communication is happening that I can't hear. I had always thought about the sounds, you know, documentary sounds that I can gather myself with my normal run-of-the-mill microphone and not all the things that are happening all around me that are above and below my range of hearing. I'm still trying to process, you know, what that means for what, what does it mean to be someone experiencing the earth through this apparatus of like headphones and the recorder and the computer processing, which also you know, it was a really mediated kind of experience. So it just, you know, totally had me question my place within the sonic world. I'm so interested now in trying to explore, research, work with scientists. Like, it was amazing. It was like one of my favorite projects I've ever worked on. Humans are a visual species except at the beginning and end. We start to hear when we're in the womb. And at the end of our lives, sound is thought to be the last sense to go. So why are we so focused on what we see? We'll just leave you with the question. And perhaps with a sense of just how much you can learn about the world by listening. I think make sure that no matter what kind of side jobs you take on, Make sure that you're still doing the work you want. If you just take a minute and you imagine, if I had the time and I had the resources, what would I make right now? Because I think that, you know, it, just to get by, even if you're working in the field, which is really, which can be really exciting if you get a job, you might just get caught up spending too much time producing other people's stuff that you don't get the chance to really work on your own. So anyway, it could be late at night, early in the morning on lunch breaks, but just make sure you're working on that too. You can listen to the complete soundtrack to Sonic Voyages, accompanied by the images from the issue through nytimes.com voyages. And you can learn more about our program through sound.northwestern.edu or by emailing sound at northwestern.edu. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the audio newsletter of Northwestern University's MA program in Sound Arts and Industries. This episode, Sonic Voyages with Kara Oler, was produced by Jason Foley, featuring an interview with Kara Oler and recordings from the Sonic Voyages issue of the New York Times Magazine. Our theme is by Brendan Baker, and our podcast is produced by Brad West. Find us on the podcast app of your choice by searching Northwestern Sound to learn about how sound works at Northwestern. Northwestern.